Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. <laughs> Pulled your bloody tampon out. You threw it into the crowd. I, I get laid way more being in a band. I've had sex with people for less. Gotta be better than Susie Gardner. A pussy premium. Cock tax. And fuck you ativeness. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watt. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in Brooklyn, New York. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, our guest is mind-blowingly awesome. So brace yourselves. If you were a feminist and a fan of hard rock, grunge, or punk in the 90s, then you are probably already obsessed with today's guest. Donita Sparks formed the band L7 in LA with her friend Susie Gardner in 1985. And through various lineups, they toured the world with heavy, head-banging bravado for the next 16 fucking years, people. During that time, they released five Furious albums, including the amazing Bricks Are Heavy, which basically helped me make the leap from high school drama nerd to angry college feminist single-handedly in the early 90s. When the band broke up in 2001, punk girls everywhere, including myself, shed bitter tears of angst and despair. But in 2014, Danita and Susie, along with longtime bandmates Jennifer Finch and Demetra Plakas, got the band back together, and they are currently rocking out harder than ever. Believe it. Their first new album in 20 years, Scatter the Rats, was released May 3rd on Blackheart Records. They are on a national tour, and their amazing career-spanning documentary, Pretend We're Dead, is streaming on all of your streaming platforms. It is such an amazing honor to have you here. Welcome, Danita Sparks. Yay, that's me. The tartiest of them all. Oh. <laughs> the pop tartiest. The pop tartiest. You know what's funny? What? You know where it's not streaming? Where? Netflix. And Netflix Those fuckers. has a so-called feminist in charge of the documentary department. Oh, really? So, so what's their shit? beef? I don't know. Oh, maybe they're listening. Know. and they're I don't know, but I'm calling tune. her out. But I don't know her name. <laughs> Get but on it. I watched it uh, with Russian subtitles for free on YouTube. Cool. Pro tip. <laughs> I love the fact that you formed the band in 1985 when you and Susie were both working at LA Weekly. It makes me think about Callie and I here in the feminist gulag of Bust Magazine. And we have both have been in all woman bands while living this periodical lifestyle. What do you think it is about making media that attracts women who rock? And how did you transition from the art department to being a rock star? I think it was uh, a lot of luck Mm -hmm. and a lot of um, hard work. And uh, I don't know. It was a lot of it was by accident, really. Uh Uh-huh. You know, somebody challenged me. They actually kind of dared me to come down and play guitar. I played guitar. I dabbled with guitar, you know. But uh, this woman who worked, another woman who worked at the LA Weekly said, you've got to come down. You've got to play guitar. You've got to be better than Susie Gardner. (laughs) (laughs) And so... I went down and I got in this band and then I ended up being in a band with Susie Gardner. So it's (laughs) kind of funny. So it was sort of on a dare. Uh Uh-huh. For punk little girls like myself, I'm just just a scant bit younger than you are. Um, You guys are like older sister age to me. Um, The fact that you created a band in which women wrote all the songs and played all the instruments and rocked really super hard was very important to me. But L7 was treated very weirdly I felt by other journalists and by the all-male bands you played alongside because you were women, Um, especially, I think, because you didn't dress in, like, the super sexy catering to the male gaze way that maybe other women musicians were being 
sort of pressured to do at the time. How did you navigate sexism and all that gender stuff when all you wanted to do was rock and people wanted to talk about ladiness? Well, first of all, our male peers were not that way. They were very supportive, most of them. And the only ones who were like uh, jerks were kind of jerks in general. Mm -hmm. You know uh -huh. what I mean? So it's like actually like from the grunge <clears throat> scene, from even from some the metal scene in L.A., guys were supportive of us. I mean, Slash was wearing a Smell the Magic shirt and uh, Tamey Down from uh, Faster Pussycat was wearing an L7 shirt. You know, like we had a lot of support from those guys too. It It's... it's it's sort of the gatekeepers who were the jerks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like the guy, the suits, the, you know, the, the morning shock jocks, promoters, you know, those people. Mm -hmm. It was the most challenging because they were square. Yeah. You know? It wasn't the other artists. It was the people who were who had the power, who mm -hmm. were the squares. It's sort of fresh in my mind because I was just watching your documentary and it really sort of depended on who was asking. Like when you are on MTV, John Norris was asking about being women in a band. There was some sort of like spikiness in your answers. But then when girls were screaming your name in Japan, you know, it's very different when it's just like girls who are worshiping other women who are rocking out. Well, you know, early on we were... Um Every interview we did, we were lumped in with Babes in Toyland, the Luna Chicks, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, every other female band of mm -hmm. that era. And it was exhausting for all of us. Like, w for every band, we were so sick of that, just that line of questioning, because, like, I really don't think that we are that similar sounding. Right, know? I don't right. think so no. either. No, so it was just this constant, like, frustration, and then the, and then the, interviewers would enjoy us getting frustrated mm -hmm. and that would be then a, a talking point so it was just it yeah. was just a drag for everybody you know yeah. but um then things started to change the the more the more and more years we put at it it got it got better you know uh -huh. we also refused to do anything all female we refused mm -hmm. to do all female issues of magazines oh. we refused to do all female um, anything because that was the way that they would kind of diminish us we wouldn't get a real article in Rolling Stone we'd get in the female issue of Rolling Stone and that's completely not the feminism I was raised with tell me about the feminism that you were raised with I was raised uh, in a household of women with my dad and my mother who um, is a longtime feminist. She had the first subscription to Ms. Magazine. Uh -huh. uh, my parents were Unitarian, so I, I'm from a very liberal household, yet we were living in a really conservative suburb of Chicago. So we were already kind of outcast oddballs mm -hmm. in, our, in our neighborhood. So um, it was just being raised with that, you know, kind of mentality of uh, we were always fighting something. I mean, my sister had to, had to fight for... Um, to take a weightlifting class in high school. Oh wow! Yeah, I had to. I had to fight to wear pants to school. Oh, oh no! Goodness. Yeah, yeah, and I, I organized all my little sixth grade friends to wear pants on report card day nice. to piss off the, the. You know, so I was always like stirring shit up. So um, for us, when we put our foot down about we're not going to be in all female rock publications like in a particular issue that's when we started getting in the regular issue oh. of the magazine because it's just a way to ghettoize you you know like mm -hmm. okay oh no we're not going to put l7 in this issue they were in the they were in the the women's issue mm -hmm. it's like right you know what i mean so we had to do that then riot girl came along and they just were women 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 in a really cool different way so we just had different approaches to the way we had feminism in rock, I guess. Mm -hmm. You said that you were playing mostly with dudes and that you weren't in, you know, like the all lady lineups. And that means that when grunge exploded, you were right there in the mix. You were opening for Nirvana. You were playing alongside Rage Against Machine and Pearl Jam and all those people. But in your documentary, it was mentioned that at the height of your fame, they said that the members of L7 were making about $500 a month. Mm -hmm. Like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> I the people in the green room with you 
are getting mega rich off of grunge. All of their managers and people are getting mega rich. Like, what the fuck happened? Are you finally getting paid? Are things changing? Who do we have to talk to? Um, we're not finally getting paid. Come on. The, um, you know, listen, sometimes it's just the luck of the draw who mm-hmm. gets radio airplay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the morning shock jocks refused to play chick bands back in the day. Yeah. So it was part of their misogynist shtick uh-huh. um part of their comedy routine you know mm-hmm. so um a lot of the guys got on the radio we did not get on the you radio were right there we were right there and and we w- are not rocket science we're kind of easy to get we're kind of catchy yeah we, we have something to say you know it's either just the luck of the draw maybe there was somebody wasn't getting payola you don't know a lot of times you don't know because show business is so subjective you can suspect mm-hmm. some things but you don't know i mean some of my favorite bands never got radio airplay yeah the stooges never got radio airplay the ramones <laughs> never got radio airplay you well know, iggy's like, now a carnival cruise line commercial well that's where the money lives now and he's making really good bread doing festivals too yeah know? we're not really making good bread doing festivals our me too is about not <laughs> getting paid shit yeah for festivals because we're usually the only females on a metal festival and sometimes on a punk festival as well. Uh-huh. But I want to start charging a pussy premium because, <laughs> yeah. because these festivals need women. So, you know, maybe in the future there's going to be a conversation about, well, you know, you guys need some pussy on this festival. So you're, we're going to charge you a little bit extra. Yeah. You definitely should. Right. I'm all for it. Yes. Ooh. So... You founded with with the rest of your band Rock for Choice in 1991. That was a long time ago. You got huge bands together to raise money and awareness for pro-choice initiatives with the Feminist Majority Foundation. One would have hoped that we'd be a little farther along by now than we are, but things are worse. I think with all of the heartbeat bills that are like raining down upon us these days. What is your feeling? on the pro-choice movement are you tempted to revive rock for choice or get otherwise politically involved well since roe v wade passed it's been attacked you know so Mm -hmm. even in 91 when we formed rock for choice people were picketing clinics on sunset boulevard in los angeles i mean it was very visible it was like right it was in our Mm -hmm. face it was like oh my god this is sunset boulevard in los angeles and there's all these anti-abortion protesters. So, um, you know, it was bad then and it's bad now. And Rock for Choice does exist. And I think maybe some younger gals and guys should get out there and do some benefits for Rock for Choice. Yeah. Do you feel politically motivated by the regime that we're currently living under? I hate politics. Okay. I hate politicians okay (laughs) i think most of them are sociopaths i think that a lot of them vote against their um true feelings Mm -hmm. um i understand why they have to do it but it's nonetheless disappointing every time it happens Mm -hmm. and so therefore i don't endorse candidates uh we endorse causes fair yeah you did your time i did my time (laughs) I did my time and it's like, you know, I think I think L7 stuck our neck out a lot and we continue to stick our neck out and other bands should maybe do the same. Now, I'm going to bring this up. I'm sure your eyes are going to roll all the way to the back of your head, but I'm cool. going to bring it up anyway. I love, I love doing that. <laughs> I love the full extension the full eye, eye roll. roll. 1992, you're at the Reading Festival in England. The audience are being a bunch of dickheads. It's raining. They're throwing clods of mud and poop at the stage while you guys are playing. And you pulled your bloody tampon out. You threw it into the crowd. And it became an iconic gesture. Like, I'm sure that maybe for a while you were tired of people bringing it up. But it has been, it has become synonymous with feminist fury mm-hmm. and outrage and and fuck you ativeness. I have seen <laughs> I have seen tattoos of your bloody tampon. Yes, it's I have seen becoming uh, a meme. <laughs> crafty renderings in embroidery of I've, your yes. bloody tampon. Needlepoint. 
I've seen it. it rendered by so many women in so many ways as shorthand for fuck the man. We're coming for what's ours. What is your feeling looking back, nay, all these years later at all that your bloody tampon hath wrought? <laughs> I uh, am very proud of it. For a while, I was I regretted it a bit. You did? I did, because uh, my mother, even though she's a feminist, she's also very, uh, has a lot of class, mm-hmm. and I didn't want her to find out about it. Cause oh. I, you know what I mean? Because I was just like, oh, man, that's, that's just too much for my mom to handle. <laughs> And then, uh, and then, but now she's seen the documentary, and there's plenty of pants dropping and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think it's great, and, and I think one of the reasons why uh, the younger women are embracing it is because there was humor involved with it as well. Yeah. So uh, I like um, my statements with a dollop of humor, and that's the way I roll. I'm not good at sincerity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. There are some people who are really good at it and you uh-huh. believe them and it's like, yeah, I'm just too much of a wisecracker. It's like, <laughs> well, I'm going to get sincere with you for a moment okay. and I hope that you don't crawl out of your skin. And leave. <gasps> All right. Well, I'm, I'm just going to go back in time to my own life. I was in a punk band with all women for three years, just a scant three years from mm-hmm. 06 to 09. And in that short time, I became very enmeshed with these women. We toured all the way from New York, Connecticut and back. Ah, nice. (laughs) Nice. We um, were all up in each other's business. There was laughter and there was tears. And it was as intense with these, like this foursome of women than any romantic relationship that I've ever been in. And when that band broke up, I cried and cried. And to this day, like over a decade later, some of them are in new bands. Mm-hmm. They send me their invitations to their gigs. I've been to a few. I don't like it. Oh, you don't make, like it because it, it, because, it hurts? Like, are you going to go to like your ex-boyfriend's no. wedding? No. No. <laughs> are you going to go to your ex-bandmate's gig? No. Fucking no. no. I don't need that kind of service in my life. No. No. <laughs> it's emotional. It is. So... I can't help but think about you were in a band the first time around for 16 years. Is that right? Uh, Something in that neighborhood. And then, and you didn't travel for three years. You traveled for 16 years and you didn't travel just from New York to Connecticut and back. You traveled all over the entirety of the world. Mm -hmm. And then you were broken up. And how do you even survive that kind of heartbreak? And how do you, what is the emotional work of getting back together again? That's a very heavy question. I know. You said you were going to get sincere, and you did. I did. Um, listen, here's the thing. In the first place, L7 did not start out as the best of friends. Okay. We were women, even though we're all white girls from the suburbs, we are very different personality types and we weren't friends we just got together for the music there were so so few punk rock art punks i considered us art punks who were playing hard rock Mm -hmm. and that was a really weird thing it was mostly new wave bands when we formed and stuff like that so what really brought us together was the music so yes we went through all those trials and tribulations you know from being on the rag at the same time Mm -hmm. in the van to, you know, really not getting along in the van. And uh, so we've had, we've had personality clashes our whole career, but uh, what always brought us together was the music and we were, we were better as, as a, as a unit than we were as individuals, as far as our, uh, our power, our star power, our creative power, and um, that we all knew. But when the band broke up, it was very difficult for all of us. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's when I went on antidepressive. Uh, I think we all went on antidepressants at mm-hmm. that time. Uh, Jennifer quit first and she was in another band, but that didn't really go anywhere. And then when the band just kind of fell apart due to financial reasons, you know, it ended shittily and it shouldn't, mm. it shouldn't have, but it did. So, uh, you know, we didn't talk for years Mm. 
It was really painful. It yeah. was really painful. But Dee and I were always good buddies. Like she played in my solo band. I had a solo band for a while. And um, but Jennifer and Susie, we we were estranged. But okay. now we're not. So that's cool. And we're we're together for the music again. And we've still we've still got our quirks. I think that we all appreciate each other's quirks. And um, we are different personality types, and that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we know we're not going to change each other at this uh-huh. point. We have to roll with it, you know, and and that's cool because we really enjoy playing together and the music and the the interaction with the fans and all that stuff. So, uh huh. And how did you guys have to do like a Metallica style mediation to get back together, or who decided it and how did it come about? Well, it came about because uh, I started a Facebook page to archive uh, materials that I had, uh-huh. and it really kind of blew up very quickly. And there were a lot of fans on there. And uh, first, it was discussed to make a documentary, so I had to be in touch with everybody via email mm. to get them to cooperate with the doing interviews and submitting their own archival material for the documentary. So that was kind of underway. And then our booking agent said, hey, you know, there's like people are asking if L7, you know, they're seeing activity, they're seeing the fans on Facebook and we're get we're starting to get interest in if you guys want to reunite. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And I wasn't even on board, but I was like, hey, I'll throw it out to everybody because it's sort of now or never. Mm-hmm. And um, we did not have a, a mediator. We didn't have a manager at the time. I had to make the cold calls. You know, I, I kind of emailed and said, hey, are you available to talk? And But I didn't really know what the reception would be. But it was all really positive. So, Well, all right. Yeah, now well, all right. Really <laughs> I had to make the scary phone calls. <laughs> so let's talk about the tour that you're on now. What yes. is this scene even like? Is it... <laughs> Is, I'm trying to imagine it's like multi-generational riot girl madness yeah. in the house. Yeah. Uh, like And a lot of dudes. A lot yeah. of dudes. You know, we have, interestingly, we have um, a larger male fan base than we do female fan base. Judging by our Facebook um, statistics. Uh-huh. Isn't that interesting? I Why? I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked. My two friends, one of my closest friends in college, James, and his best friend, Will, when they were growing up together, they whenever something they had something happen and they needed to make a decision, they would say, "What would L Seven do?" Really? Yes, huh. that was like their mantra. That's so cool. So that's when I met him, and they they were like, "Oh, you like L Seven? We've been saying this for years." I and love so that's that. How we like became friends. That's really cool. Is there more drugs backstage? Are there less drugs? Is there more? Depends on whose purse you're looking at. <laughs> more booty, less booty. Uh, there's never been booty. There's never? No, sometimes the gals get grabby. Uh, they they used to get... The gals were always way more violating than the males were. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, like jumping on stage and grabbing our breasts and stuff like that. Wow. Like, like something you would haul off and hit a dude for. Right. And you're just standing there like some woman's guy. I mean, it was it, it was crazy. That but um, so the, the dykes were really out of control for us. But the dudes were kind of terrified of us. Okay. And that's the same back then as it is now, would you say? I, uh, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know what the chemical makeup of, say, a groupie is. I've never been a groupie. I've always been a fan. So I don't really know mm-hmm. what what drives a groupie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the, it's the way that they express love for a musician, I suppose. But, uh, you know, that may be more of a... a, a dudes are just not groupies you know what i mean well i always just thought of it as like if someone sees you play music and they don't know you other than seeing you play music and then they approach you for the purpose of wanting to engage in sexual congress i think that that's groupie in my like three years of rock there was one count them one groupie and I was so relieved when that finally happened. I didn't. I did <laughs> not engage in sexual congress. I was just propositioned to do. Was so. Was that a male or a female? It was a, it was a male. Here, like, it was what a male. about me? It was a male. You okay? Time's out. I'm getting some gestures from our luscious recording engineer wow. Logan. Okay, now because, it all comes out because he <laughs> and I this are in a relation, and our relation predated the band. So I'm not gonna. 
put you in the groupie category as as enticed as you may have been by my musical performances behind the drum kit I would not put you in that category because you actually knew me as a person and I am defining groupiehood as someone who has only seen you do yeah. a musical thing and then is like, hey, let's get test. it on. Are you saying you cheated on him with a groupie? No, I'm oh. saying I was propositioned by okay. a groupie, but I turned him down. Because I don't want World War Three to start Table's in this gonna office. Not, <laughs> I'm going to flip this table like a real housewife That's in right. a second. That's right. <laughs> no, I did. I never I never engaged in said sexual congress, but it was, it was suggested and I was so relieved because who wants to be in a band with nobody ever asking? <laughs> um, well, don't get me wrong. I get... I, I, I get laid way more being in a band. For sure, right? But it's not from groupies per se. It's either, it's usually people I know. Uh-huh. Peers in the. Yeah, peers or, uh, I, you know, listen, I should be, back in the day, I should have been sued for sexual harassment with our crew. Nice. Not that I was a sexual <laughs> harasser, but Sorry. I, I had sex with a lot of them. And I think it's just like this feeling of like, when you're, I don't know, something chemically happens to me when I'm around someone who's like helping me do something. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, he's he's changing my guitar strings. I think I'll have sex with him. <laughs> I've had sex with people for less. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? So, uh, unless you're on the road. Yeah. You're like out there in the yeah, world. Yeah. Like a little tribe. What do they say? What stays on, uh, what happens on the road stays on the road or something. Is that true or does it follow you home? Not until somebody makes a documentary about it. Not until uh-huh. somebody opens their, their big mouth. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, uh-huh. it, it stays secretive. It's the, co- oh, the code of the road. That's what it's called. The code of the road. Basically, it protects cheating fuckers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How has spending thinking. your life in rock affected your feminism you say you, you were you were endowed with feminism from an early age by I your was. family how has being out in this wild world playing rock changed your perspective on your feminism helped your feminism to evolve um early on it was a real pain in the ass because la was even though um our peers were cool uh, a lot of the punk rock scene in la i found to be very misogynistic personally mm-hmm. like I didn't connect with it at all it was only until we started playing Seattle mm. where I found progressive guys right yeah, and there for for whatever reason it's the water up there I don't know what it I is I saw Kurt Cobain wearing that L7 t-shirt and he wore Frightwig uh, t-shirt right and, and you know those guys up there were more prog- progressive than the LA guys so um and I got made fun of a lot for being a feminist all the time. My whole life, I was always picked on for being a feminist. So uh, now that it's become this great word in neon lights behind these pop stars. Thank you, Beyonce. Hey, well, you know what? Beyonce should play a fucking Rock for Choice show. That's who should play a Rock for Choice show. She would show. make so much fucking money. Beyonce, please play a Rock for you know Choice what I'm saying? show. If she played it's, one, it'd be abortions for you, abortions for you. Right. Hand them out. out. <laughs> Hand them out like keychains. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, I think that feminism has become this big pop word now, but it's like, walk the walk, you know, don't just put it in a neon sign behind you. Like, I mean, I don't know what Beyonce is doing for women's rights right now, but like, so a benefit would be great. Or Taylor Swift do a benefit, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some of these pop gals who are making a shitload of money off of young women uh, buying their records, uh, maybe they could get out there and do some feminist-based benefits. However, they may lose half of their fan base if they do it. Do you think so? Um, I think they would lose some of their fan base, yes. I, I think, think that Taylor that's why... Swift, for they, sure. Yeah, they don't do it because they're scared they're going to lose fans. Well, Taylor Swift already came out promoting Democratic candidates in the, during the last election. Yeah, and which I'm sure cool. it took her a long time to get there, though. Which, you but know? she got there. Which is cool. Because she has all those, like, middle America country... Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, she started yeah. out. People are like, don't, don't talk about abortion. To, I will just won't listen to you. I mean, just look at the Dixie chicks. Dixie chicks, yeah. Which are coming back. The best meme the other day where somebody was like, the Dixie chicks standing up against uh, all the Republican country fan base, and then not giving a fuck when they got banned is the most punk rock shit that <laughs> that I've I've seen beside or more than any uh, man male punk band ever or something but like that. The, yeah. like, Our nation is shit. ready for them. They're coming back. I support. I never awesome. really listened to their music, but I support the what they did. Mm-hmm. Speaking out. Yeah, me too. 
Um, what are your hopes, dreams, goals, desires for the rest of 2019? Oh man. Um, <clears throat> I want to make more music, more new music. Um, I want to go to Tulum and go Mexico. Yeah. I want to maybe go to Hawaii and go snorkeling. I I love snorkeling. I'm going to go snorkeling this week, next week. Where are you going? I'm going to Key Largo. Oh, nice. See, here's the issue with me and snorkeling is that I'm very buoyant. Uh-huh. So like I really but have that's to, a good thing. Well, yeah, like it means I'm not going to get tired. I can just like exert no effort and just like bob around for hours. But I can't get too far below the surface because I just pop right up. Uh, well, you <laughs> well, know, I don't have to worry about you drowning. So you don't know. I am a big fan of the pool noodle. Well, when I snorkel, oh. because then you don't have to do shit. Pro you tip. Just, you just float <laughs> and you and kick your legs a little bit. Logan and I went to Belize. I almost died four different times. I fell through a bridge. I got thrown from a horse. What the hell? Um, now that's a vacation. Yeah. So those are my hoped dreams. I, I, need, a va- I need a vacation. Uh-huh. Don't we all? I'm going to do some more touring. I'm going to make some more rock. I'm going to make some more music. Cocktax. Cocktacks? Yeah, for uh, all dude bills that need your vaginal energy on the stage, you have to charge them a cocktax moving forward. Oh, uh, a pussy premium. Hashtag both of that shit. <laughs> yes. Because it is true, they need you. Or they just look like, like what's this Riot Fest? That's the one that just got announced. It's Remember all that? 90s. Why aren't you on that? Well, we we have played Riot Fest, but we don't. Some some bands reunite and they get like super long green, like crazy money. L seven, that's mind blowing. Not so much because this this is like all these reunited bands. Like, who cared about Dashboard Confessional? You would have to pay me to to be in that space. But then also, did you know that the Village people are still together? Um, you know, the village people, haven't they changed members like a Yeah, like a bunch of times. But there's I think the cowboy remains the cowboy forever. The cowboy remains no. Oh is he? The cowboy with the mustache. Randy. Randy the cowboy has okay. always well, been the cowboy. Still but they should just good. call that White Man Festival because it is there's a couple ladies which they put at the top of the bill, you know, so that when you see the first line you're like, There's a woman. And then it's just man, 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 man. And then there may be like Two men of color. Yeah, it's weird. It was, I was like, who are, why are these people back? No one needs this. It's an interesting thing. But again, that's nothing that you can, like, you can't really prove any of that. You know, right. that's what I mean about like show business is just so weird. It's not, you can't regulate it like that, you know, because it's all subjective. It's like, what's the, what's your value? What, what, I don't know. What's your value? Yeah. It's, it's all very, it's not like who runs the hundred yard dash the fastest, you know, it's no, there's no ranking. It's just a weird. And also sometimes thing. probably bookers are like, you can have this, but you have to put these other people on the bill. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. You're right. A lot of it is very, uh, if you've, if your manager has a large roster or if you're on a label that has a, you know, oh, put so put dashboard confessional on and you'll get, you know, cold play as well. You know, like yeah. that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. not to pick on dashboard confessional. I, I, I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure they're people. fine. I don't even know their music, but they're probably nice people. I was thinking about your song shit list. I love it so much. My mom has had a shit list for 70 years and it's long and exhaustive. Yes. And she's always like, if you really pissed off Janet, she'd be like, that person's on my shit list. And my blood would run cold because that means like they're cursed forever. Thinking about that song prompted me to wonder who Danita Sparks is currently on your shit list. Uh-huh. Inquiring minds want to oh know. Oh my God. Well, okay. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, let's see. I don't want to be mean to any of my co-show folk. Mm. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, the, 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 the creeps in Washington, D.C. Yeah. That's a bummer. Uh, the creeps in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Creeps. Cre- I think the, our lists are pretty much the same. Yeah, the creepy older people who prey on the vulnerable younger people. 
uh, with um, their weird Russian hands and Roman fingers. Mm. Um, the creeps. A lot of gentrifiers in Los Angeles. Uh, We're in Brooklyn. We don't know what gentrification yeah, is. Yeah, no, about. I know. It's a, it's, it's, it's a new word to you guys. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I've heard. Uh, yeah, I, I hate all that stuff. So, Who's on your shit list? Oh, mine is so much more personal than yours. Oh. I couldn't even go into all of it. But yeah, I mean, definitely our president is numero uno He's with a bullet top. on the top of my shit list. Tense. That's Pence and him. Oh, and Pence is so weird. What a piece of shit. What a strange man. That closeted fellow. Whoa, that guy. (laughs) That's hard, yeah. Wow. Oh, man, all those girls who were so mean to me in junior high have been on my shit list forever, and they'll never leave it. Mm. They they will never, ever leave it. Do you think any of them regret it? You know what? Here's the thing. My, like, I moved from New York to Virginia when I was 15, so that was, like, all those people all those bitches remained those bitches in my mind forever Mm. but my best friend stayed in that school went to high school with them people grew and changed and like she became friends with people who were at one point my enemies and a couple of them because they were friends with her and she remained best friends with me came up to me when i when i would like stroll through town and they would be like i was you know not cool to you and i apologize and i would accept their apology outwardly but inwardly i was like fuck you forever yeah because i'm janet's daughter and that's how it is the shit list is the shit list and it doesn't (laughs) you don't get off it's immovable yeah yeah i understand but i'm sure i'm on some people's shit list forever too i wasn't always nice as a kid (laughs) i wasn't i'm sure i wasn't either i wasn't i was an asshole but i uh, have horrible, horrible guilt about it. That's why I asked you mm. if you would, if if you think, um, if they could ever be forgiven. Because people I was mean to, I have horrible, horrible regret about, and I have for a long, long time. It's weird. Like I was, um, I could be mean in grade school, but then uh-huh. I became a defender of the bullied in high school mm-hmm. uh, because because that's just the way it was but then I saw like this one of these talk shows and they had the bullies meet the bullied years later and those fucking bullies didn't change at all it was Mm. really bizarre and I think that the the adult bullied person wanted some kind of closure closure and they didn't get it and I thought it was the cruelest thing I I was just like oh my god you fucker so I don't know sometimes people regret what they did yeah and i regret not being more forgiving i feel like i really have to work on it well (laughs) they have to work on it they have to work on it first you know what i mean like yeah my friend larry from lookout records do you remember lookout records i do he always tells me that holding on to a resentment is like taking poison because you want someone else to die I know. All That's those, the wisdom from Lookout Records. People. All those sayings are really good. And I, <laughs> I, it's so hard to apply them. Before I let you go, we have to ask everyone who comes on the show the most important of questions, and that is, what you watching? When we say what you watching, we mean all pop culture. We mean movies and television and books and music videos and albums and every form of pop culture that there is out there if you are consuming it it is probably cool and we want to know what it is that's a lot of pressure because i do like a lot of trash bring on the trash however i uh started watching pose Pose. and i like i like it a lot and that the 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 guy who plays the announcer on that show billy porter is such an amazing actor he's blowing my mind so he's gonna be in the next issue of bust everyone is he yes great um I, I like that show a lot. I am not from that scene, so I don't know how authentic it is. I mean, of course, I saw Paris is Burning, which was amazing. I love that film. It's, they were it's fucking amazing. Re- re-released in theaters. Oh, man, what a great mm-hmm. film. But, uh, you know, because I hate when Hollywood does rock and roll. I yeah. just think it's always awful. It's just like, are you kidding me with those wigs on <laughs> vinyl? Remember vinyl? Uh-huh. I, I was very uh, disappointed in that. Well, are movie. there any rock movies that you like? No. Like Ladies and Gentlemen, Fabulous Stains, like anything no. like that? <gasps> Interesting. I don't like that movie. <gasps> really? You, you know why I don't like that movie? Why? Because she steals songs. Ah. Mm. That's no way to fucking be cool. That's I not cool. You. I love the hairdos. For real, and the makeup. 
hairdos and the makeup, but she stole songs. It's like, nah, mm-hmm. that doesn't fly with me. Fair. But um, what do you like? Well, you'll have to stick around for the next part. Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell you now because then I won't be able to tell Callie later. I like Real Housewives of New York. And uh-huh. I, you were and, just, yeah, I, tell us about running into Dorinda. I, I didn't run into her. I saw her sitting on the couch at Sirius XM radio station. Uh-huh. I had just finished an interview and I walked out and I was like, oh my God, that's Dorinda. And um, she looked at me and she saw me looking at her and we winked at each other. So I felt it was a a real showbiz moment there because she had no idea who I was. Do you have thoughts on the Countess Luann's most recent incarceration? I don't, but I want to see her cabaret show. Me too. I want to see those gowns on her that cause such scandal. The Giovanni gowns. The Giovanni gowns. And we can go together and scream, Giovanni! Giovanni and get wasted. <laughs> that would be really fun. Okay, so I like that. Um, I'm not bad at Jeopardy. Really? Do you have feelings about the dude who's winning and winning? I've been and winning? asked that, but I haven't been able to watch it because I've been on the road. But um, I hear that he's been doing very well. Yeah, you know, he's like one of these obsessive, like, uh, he's a professional gambler right? At, for his job. So, like, he spent months and months just working on his buzzer technique. Like, uh, beside knowing everything, yeah, he also, you know, went the extra thumb. mile. He's I got the, that. the fast thumb. He deserves that cash. See? He's made over $2 million. No, really? Amazing. On oh, that's Jeopardy. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what his strategy is? He goes for the high. The highest first. Highest first. So he goes for the hardest questions first so nobody else can get those big numbers That's but him. That's smart. Interesting. Because he knows that he knows all the answers. And it's an interesting uh, life philosophy as well, actually. Yeah, don't right? work Don't work up to it. Yeah, Just dive go in the for deep it. end. Yes. I think we all need to do that. Any bands that you're into? Les Butcherettes are opening for us on this tour. They're great. Love Yay. them. They're great. They're super sweet. Um... Who else have you had on the show? Who mm. haven't we and had And do they on? like Pose? <laughs> you know what they <laughs> we do? Just we just had um, one of the writers of Pose, Our Lady J, was <gasps> just on before you. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was oh, and cool. she wouldn't tell us anything. Mm. She was like, you have to watch it. I won't tell you anything. I'm, I'm curious to see yeah. how this storyline of the married guy is going to go with um, w- how they're going to play this out. Yeah, I, it's, I it's kind of uh, anticipate that it will be messy, but I'm much more interested to see how the whole crew reacts to Madonna blowing up their spot, which is what the next season two oh, is yeah. all about. It's oh. about it's it's like opens on the the day Thanks. that Madonna's Vogue video comes oh, out. Oh shit! And then they're in the spotlight. Uh huh. Uh huh. By the masses. Wow. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to see what kind of juicy shade. So what kind yeah. of shade will be thrown? What kind of tea is being spilled? Exactly. So, <laughs> you're the best. Thank you so this much. For thanks coming. for having you're me. You're an inspiration. Thanks so much. We're gonna take the briefest of breaks, and when we come back, I'm gonna ask Callie, and she's gonna ask me what, what you watching. Before we get back to the show. I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be. And you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious. And I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. (laughs) Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have dockets. We all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. (laughs) Scams. 
I'm Caitlin I'm Brodnick. C. Smith. <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. It's amazing. So smart. I mean, so like smart. Ten. I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. And we're back. Hello. Callie. The new Sparks just left. She's a joy. She's a delight. I loved her hair. She's legendary. Legendary, legendary. And I love that she loves Pose and Real Housewives. She likes what I like. (laughs) I love it. Callie, what you watching? I think the best thing that I've seen, and I think I have told some people in the office to watch this already, is It's Bruno on Netflix. Okay. I missed that movie. It's a TV show. It's oh. a it's a series of shorts. Um, it's sort of like high high maintenance situation. Mm-hmm. It's a guy that lives in um, Bushwick, Brooklyn, and he's obsessed with his dog. It's a little pug, and so it's like every episode is him walking his dog, and, and like it's on Netflix. Uh huh. Like the, what goes down? Like one, he can't take his dog into the deli anymore. He needs to get the special dog turkey that he feeds his dog, <laughs> and so then like somebody tries to steal the dog, you know, or like somebody is not cleaning curbing their dog and cleaning up the shit and so he's irate and has to solve the case because he thinks people think it's his dog so it's like each one is a different thing and he takes everything really really serious a lot of people get beat up with uh, wooden sticks (laughs) there's a lot going on it's really good it was really funny i love you said he has a pug yes i love a little pug with a (laughs) little face and like there's this one neighbor who's like uh, always trying to call he has a different name for Bruno and he's always like it's fucking Bruno and the guy goes everybody on the block he always says everybody on the block knows he's like that kind of guy uh-huh. the, the neighbor and he's like everybody on the block knows that dog's name isn't Bruno and he's like it's my dog <laughs> <laughs> so that was amazing I saw Booksmart mm-hmm. have you seen it yet? I haven't but I'm looking forward to seeing it it was really really good um billy lord you know i love Uh uh-huh she was the best character in it to me she was like this at the role kind of party girl but like a a laid-back druggy party girl who just magically is always at the next party that they try to get to so like (laughs) they'll leave her and she's in some kind of crazy situation and then when when they get to the next party she's like hey guys where have you been (laughs) there's always somebody who's always at the party and in my life that somebody is you yeah i was like this is me (laughs) this person i understand why she's your favorite character (laughs) um i watched dead to me oh yeah christina applegate yes it's really good that's Um, also on netflix right uh uh-huh um there's a lot of plot swerves that i can't give away uh it's like a woman's husband gets killed in a car crash and then so you think though this is going to be like the setup but then shit goes crazy and christina applegate is so fucking good in it okay underrated underrated i say um and then I saw this thing called The Untold Story, The Secret Life of a Gang Girl. That's on A&E. Okay. And this is ep- season one, episode six. I guess the, each episode is a different untold story. But it's made by the, um, Elizabeth Vargas and this guy Desmond Upton Patton. And they're investigating social media's role in gang-related shootings. Okay. And it really focuses on uh, Jakira Barnes. I think that's how you say your name. And she was killed when she was 17. They think for retaliation because she was um, a really young shooter. So she was like in this gang and she was rumored to have killed or been involved with over 20 murders. Her first one was when she was just 14. She wasn't charged with any though. Um, so she killed her first person, they think, at 14 years old. Man. As a retaliation for somebody in her gang getting shot. So basically what it is is they she was posting on Twitter all of her feelings, like, you know, basically telling people I'm about to kill somebody. Mm. But they weren't really following this yet. And so now there's investigators are starting to use social media as a way to see 
Like if they think someone is possibly a troubled person that, you know, they could tell who's in gangs because what they post a lot of times, it's like the girl was posting with her with guns constantly. She was in music videos with bandanas on her face talking about shooting people mm-hmm. um, directly saying she's going to kill people, you know, so these people are just putting it out there on the Internet. And so then there's a group in a Chicago school, high school. It was a, lo- a lot of girls. I think there may have been one one guy there but they troll social media for the people that they know are in gangs and then when they see that there's a fight escalating they call them in for mediation in the school so that's their new approach to trying to stop gang violence nice yeah it was a really it's a really sad doc because this girl's life is just destroyed but also it was nice to see that people are actually you know in the people yeah, interrupters in the yeah are changing changing things and then i saw the the perfectionist which I guess is supposed is making people nauseous. The new horror movie on Netflix with Alison Williams. She's really becoming a scream queen. That one. I know she's doing all horror. I mean, I guess you could say that her role in girls was also horror. <laughs> shade. The shade. Um, there's like a vomiting scene that I guess is making people nauseous. You know, I, yeah, that'll do it. I would not have thought that. Unless puke somebody, makes people puke. I only puke when I see puke in, in my, space like in real life yeah if i see puke on the screen because really puke. it's it's the smell yeah yeah and yeah. also watching someone do the blah, blah, <laughs> like the cat with the hairball thing uh-huh but the, i thought it was a really good movie um the end scenes were super good it's really creepy so good twist i it wasn't as gory as people say but i always say that Mm-hmm. What are you watching? I'm so glad you asked. After uh, our recording that we did with the luminous Our Lady J, she reminded me that I had been waiting for the new 2018 Suspiria to come out on streaming because I wanted to watch it from the comfort of my home because it was notoriously long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she reminded me that it's it's out there, it's streaming. So I saw it on Amazon and I love, 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 loved it. Really? So like, I was ex- kind of panned by a lot. I know. And so I didn't prioritize it and I really should have. I mean, I truth be told. Re- pan a lot of remakes because they have like, the affection for the OG. It's not the OG, but it, it definitely harkened back to it in many visual ways. Plus, I'm an arty bitch, and this was an arty, arty art film. Like, a lot of interpretive dance, so I much smoking. I love that. Ballerinas smoking whilst dancing. I love this. And being, so, like, 70s Berlin. Like, bring it uh, on. I really need to watch it. How long is that? I think it's, like, oh, over two and a half hours. Ah! So... I'm an arty bitch, so I loved all the artiness, and it uh, takes place in the 70s in Berlin, which is the artiest place in the artiest time. And um, I will tell you that Dakota Johnson was amazing in this movie. You know, I was trying to. What was she? I, her name is always Fifty Shades around. of Grey. She I never is saw the any girl of them. in Fifty Shades of Grey. I and never saw him. Has she has done? She hasn't done anything else because her name is always around. She's done other things, but she's famous for Fifty Shades of Grey, but she really should be famous for this. She did a lot of dancing, a lot of emoting. Tilda Swinton was in it as like multiple characters. Of course. She was the the sort of grand dame of the dance school in Berlin, but she also played an elderly gentleman who is a German psychotherapist with I a love mustache and liver spots and the whole nine. And you would not know that it was her unless you knew that it was her. Ah, she really went all out. And I was thinking of you at the end. It gets very, very witchy. This is not a spoiler. Everybody who knows Everybody about knows, Suspiria yeah. knows that it's about witches. And the final witchy ritual has more blood spray than I can remember seeing in any film since Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like I am talking about massive, massive amounts of blood spray. Ooh, I am there. During of all women dance ritual to satan just why have i not watched this yet it's appalling it's really something i i when it was over i was like i've really watched something (laughs) something that was made with care and intensity and attention to detail and i'm happy that it's out in the world i'm gonna is it on netflix it's on amazon oh so come over and watch it (laughs) yeah um also on amazon 
I was alerted to the fact that all the old Carol Burnett shows are streaming oh. on Amazon. And that is amazing. Like, I remember watching it. It was in syndication in my youth. Did you watch the youth. new one at all? I didn't really You know watch what? It. I watched one episode. It was kind of like the kids say the darndest things, sort of. But the original, um, I believe the episode that I was watching was from the first season, which was 1967. Amazing. It was incredibly mod. It was very, um, I would say, the humor was sharp and kind of dark. For example, Lucille Ball was the was the guest on there, and Amazing. in one of the first sketches, like uh, Carol Burnett and Lucille Ball decide to meet up for lunch, and they just sort of on a whim go into an Argentinian restaurant, and everybody who works there is a Nazi in hiding. Oh my god! <laughs> my god! It, it was just all wall to wall Nazi jokes for like ten minutes. And it was really funny, like really funny. Oh, man. Like Lucille Ball making Nazi jokes. You don't see that every day. No, you do not. That show was very cutting edge and they really did a lot of experimental shit. There was also like musical numbers with mod, like, like whacked out interpretive dancing. And oh. the musical guest was Robin Thicke's mom. What? The woman who one day would become Robin Thicke's mom. What's her name? I'm trying to remember her name. She she's Alan Thicke's first wife, and she has tons of blonde hair and is very good at emoting. I'll tell you that. But yeah, like that show is full of surprises, and it's very surprising how well the humor holds, holds up. up. That's yeah. awesome. Um, Netflix has got a delightful documentary right now called The Perfect Bid. If you are a game show person oh, like I am, seen this. it is about a guy who spent his whole life so obsessed with The Price is Right that he literally like had spreadsheets of every item that they had up for bids and what the actual retail price is like for decades. That's crazy. And his whole like thing was he's a math teacher, um, some kind of like number savant. Uh, somebody I in the documentary at one point called him that Rain Man guy. But like he memorized the prices of literally everything on the show because he noticed as a kid watching the show that certain prizes would repeat. So he just had these endless spreadsheets of the actual retail price of everything on the show that they'd ever had. He memorized them. He memorized like the different like they would change the prices of things like with even if it was the same car, they would have different extras on them, like different different packages with them and he would memorize the price if it had this and the price if it had this he was only called up to contestants row once he was in the audience 36 times something like that and all those other times that he was in the studio audience not on contestants row he was just shouting out the correct answers the whole time because on the price is of right course. you're allowed to shout out how, how close did he get on that he knew like every answer. i mean when he was them. the contestant he won when he was the contestant he didn't get to uh the showcase showdown because it's all about just spinning the wheel he won his pricing game which was right. just punching the uh wall to try to get money out of the holes in the wall so it was sort of it was random. All of his. So he didn't get like to he was able to get all, out of contestants row by knowing the exact retail price of the Barca lounger. But then once he was and then when he was on the stage, he knew the exact retail, retail prices of the things that he needed to get punches into the wall. But once you punch in the wall, that's random. And once you spin the wheel, that's random. And he didn't get any farther than that. Aww. But all of the other times he was telling just screaming the right answers over and over and over again, 36 times. I love it. It's called The Perfect Bid, and it's just about obsession. It's just about game show obsession. I love it. TPIR specifically. Um, City Girls, their problematic faves, they have a great new video out that just came out called Act Up. It's tough and it's bouncy. It's got some girl-on-girl girl crime, which is nice. the the uh, all the rage today with the hip-hop acts. Oh, Rosalia had a great video that came out today where she has insane claw nails. Nice. That video is beautiful to watch. I love new videos. Bring it on. Even though MTV isn't MTV anymore, I like that people still make music videos for me to yeah. watch on the tube of you. Exactly. And that is what I've been watching. Thank you so much to our brand new producers, Kate Moldenauer and Jesse Karen at Ooh. More Banana Productions. Yes. Thank you, as always, to our luscious audio engineer, Logan Del Fuego. <laughs> Muy caliente. 
And, of course, to our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You cannot find Callie no. on Twitter. Don't try it. You'll fail. You'll never find her. But you can email both of us, me at emilyrams at bust.com. Callie W at bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. I don't want to just keep being a sleeper hit like Suspiria 2018. I want to be so much more famous than that. I want, like, we are crafted with love just like Suspiria. (laughs) We were made with intention and with heart just like Suspiria. And just like Suspiria, we should be way more famous. <laughs> Truth. And that can only happen if you rate and review us on iTunes. Please do it. Uh, it really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mwah!